Welcome to Calvary Temple Church Podcast. Thank you for listening today. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet, please consider doing so. We hope this encourages you in your spiritual growth. Last week we talked about why we should pray, um, what is prayer, and how all of that works as our Christian responsibility. Today, though, I felt like we were supposed to continue on, though, with how to pray. And we talked about why we pray and, um, what, and what God does, but how to pray. And whatever season we're in, we need to pray. Whether we're in high times or low times, whether we're rejoicing or sorrowful, we always should be people who pray. God does things when we pray. But prayer, again, remember, is communicating with God. We talk to him, he talks to us. We have this back and forth dialogue, this conversation that happens with God. And uh, there, so it's so important that we, we give opportunity to hear him, that we wait, we pause. You know, I was reminded this week, do you ever talk to somebody um, and this person doesn't ever stop talking, they don't let you have a word in edgewise, you know what I mean? Like they just talk, 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 talk. And you're like, you're just hearing them the whole time and you don't get an opportunity to speak. That isn't very nice, is it? Well, in the same way, we shouldn't be doing that to God. We should give him opportunity to speak to us because he wants to. He wants to speak to us. As we read his word, he speaks to us. As we spend time in prayer, when we pause and we wait, like God speak to us, he will be talking to us. But prayer in our lives is kind of like whether you have Play-Doh or non-hardening clay. I'm going to open this up. And when you first take some of this stuff out of the container, it's kind of hard, isn't it? Like it's not very soft, especially non-hardening clay. Have you guys ever used non-hard, the non-hardening clay? It's like an oil-based clay that you can sit it on your desk or you can sit it on uh, the t- a table, and it just it doesn't ever go hard. But when you first pick it up, it's like super hard, and you're like, can barely, you squeeze it, you squeeze it, and you have to warm it up. You have to keep, you have to warm it up, and you keep working it, and the more you squish it, the more you warm it up in your hands, the more pliable it becomes, the softer it is, and the easier it is to sculpt and to use for whatever you want to make it. That's what prayer does in our lives. The more we pray, the more we talk to God, and He talks to us, He gives us a soft and responsive heart, so that way, as we pray, He warms up our heart, and He changes us, and He does things in our heart, and He can sculpt us into the person He wants us to be. Just like in the prophet Jeremiah talks about the, the potter giving, uh, making the clay. Like, that's what God does in our hearts. So as we pray, we're giving opportunity for God to be working. So if you have any Play-Doh or anything like that, and you use it all this week, or you have grandkids or kids using it, remember that God wants to be sculpting us in that way. And the more we pray, the more we will get to see that. But I was looking at what better passage to talk about for how to pray than when Jesus tells us how to pray. So we can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at how Jesus tells us how to pray. And uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 is where we'll start. And the words should be on the screen as well, but you can look them up in your Bible if you like. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now, here's something that's interesting at this verse. 
Jesus is talking about, you know, they, they, uh, hypocrites, people who they just are praying to be seen by others. And they're missing the point, aren't they? If you're just praying to be seen by others, to be noticed, they're missing the point that prayer is not about getting other people's attention or approval, right? It's about communicating with God. And if our prayers are not about talking with God, experiencing Him, looking to see Him work in our lives, then we're not going to have a reward, Jesus says. We've missed the point. God does not honor ostentatious prayers, He doesn't honor our prayers when they're just braggadocious and to get people's attention. It's for when we have a genuine communication with him. The motive, our motive is what's important in our prayer, is what is our motivation as we pray. In verse 6, it goes on and says, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, motive is important. Uh, we want to take the time to talk to God. If we're not ever praying privately and on our own, then what makes us think that when we pray in other situations that we'll see things happen? We need to be praying privately. Our motive is what's important. I'm gonna, again going to quote. I said it yes last week, but Ian Bounds, he says, Sure. Thank you. I guess no, we'll have two. <laughs> okay. Short, powerful public prayers are the outcome of long, secret intercession. Long, secret intercession. When we spend the time in prayer on our own, like we're going to see God do many more things. Um, there was a, listen to a video this week, and this guy was talking about, he told about there was a girl that he prayed for um, God told, laid on his heart to go and pray for this girl at the hospital. She was uh, in her early 20s. She'd had a car accident and was pretty much brain dead, completely in a, like, no brain response at all, and was in the hospital. And God told him to go and pray for her for an hour every week. He went, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he had a long commute back and forth from the hospital. But he was faithful, and he went and he prayed week after week after week after week. A whole year, year and a half went by. He didn't see anything happen. The um, uh, sister of the girl. Okay, there we go. The sister of the girl who was in the hospital uh, called him up and said that the doctors are going to turn off the life support and that we're, this is going to be um, her last time here on earth. And so he went to the hospital and he prayed. And uh, when he got there, he felt the Holy Spirit come on him and he prayed that she would be healed. He'd been praying for this for a year, year and a half, been praying for an hour every week. This is a lot of time in prayer for this individual, and he felt like God said to pray that she would raise up and be completely healed. It was just a short time later, before the doctors had opportunity to pull the life support, she uh, started being responsive, and God did a miracle, and she was completely made well. You see, our prayers, our long intercession 
It does something. It changes things. And we want to see things happen. Yes, God can answer, do things in a moment. But when we pray and we have long intercession, he is working. He does amazing things. And then it continues on. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. You see, in that time, the pagans, the people who didn't follow our God, they thought that set prayers and rituals, giving the right words, would guarantee results like a contract. If we do this, this will happen. And like there's these set things and that the prayers and rituals, and they thought that if they said just the right thing and impressed the gods, then that they would see things happen. But it takes out the wisdom and the sovereignty of God if we have this perspective. We don't trust, it's not trusting him to have what the best answer to our prayers. We just want to get what we want. And saying the right words and thinking that we'll be heard because of how we pray is not what God wants. See, he already knows. Jesus said he already knows even before we pray and he, what we need. And he is working. And so it's not like we have to be telling him all the details of everything. Though we might be led to on some things, but he is already knows and he's working. Our motive is what's important as we pray. Again, I want to say our motive is what's important. We need to be praying because we want to draw closer to God, because we want to see him work, and we want to experience more of him. Those should be our motivations. So, Jesus goes on, he says, this then is how we should pray in all situations. So this is how we should pray. Now, in all situations, like we said, whether good or bad, whether highs or lows, with joy or in sorrow, it doesn't change God's love for us and that how we should communicate with him. And so the, when you look at some of the Greek and things with this passage in Matthew, it's kind of it, this translation of in this way or this fashion is how we should pray. So this is the type of ways that we should pray is what Jesus is saying as he goes into the Lord's prayer. And so uh, he says, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Now, we're going to keep going through and stopping with each verse because there's so much in this. But God is our Father. He is our Father. No matter what happens, we know we have a loving Father in heaven. It's... um. It's a pretty amazing thing when we think about that as we go to pray, the first thing to remember is God is our Father, and we can approach him with trust and understanding. One time, when, uh, this is before I was born, uh, my dad, they were needing to re-roof the church in Minotaur where they were pastoring, and uh, they had started doing the things, but there was some uh, difficulties with the city, and the city gave a stop work order. And this was in the middle of winter, and it started snowing, and the snow would come through into the church, in the, and it would get everything wet, and it was very challenging. Well, my one brother, he went, and he was just a really little kid. My dad was sitting there, and it had, been, like, you know, they couldn't do the stuff. Like, the guys knew how to do it, but they had to get through the, some more extra inspection hoops and stuff. And his little, my brother, older brother, who's just this little guy, goes, and he climbs up on my dad's lap, and he says, Dad, Please don't let it snow. Like he thought that he could make the snow stop in that uh, in that situation. But the trusting in that way—that's the way we should trust God, even if we that this expectation that He can uh, answer our request. And in our prayers, we should approach Him with the same expectation and trust as my brother did, my dad. 
I have a, quite a few brothers, if you, most of you guys know, I have five of them. And several of them are married and they have kids. And it's always fun to watch. Um, sometimes, I don't know if you like, you'll get the ones that the little kids that are only about, oh, year and a half to three years old or so, and they'll take that really little kid and they'll put the, they'll pick them up and they'll have their hands down really low around them. And then they'll take them and they throw them up into the sky and then they catch them and they throw them up. And that's a long ways, especially when uh, my one brother, Nathan, who you guys know is six, nine, when he does it to the nieces and nephews, it's like a they're being thrown up seven and they're going taken from the floor to like seven and a half feet up in the air and then maybe eight foot. It's a long ways. But you see the child, they see their father, they see that person and they look in their eyes and they keep their face on their face. They're not looking around at the things around them. No, if they do that, then they get scared. They're looking at the eyes of their father and they're smiling and laughing and in trust They don't think that they're going to fall. They expect to get caught. And that trust they're expecting, and they see the eyes of the Father, and they know they are safe, and they are loved. Our Father in heaven, as we go to him in prayer, is like that. That when we look in his eyes, when we look at his face, when when, uh, Jesus was walking on the water, and Peter goes out to him, and he starts to step on the water. When he looks at Jesus, he can walk on it, right? When he takes his eyes off of Jesus, that's when he sinks. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can trust him and we can see him and we don't have to be, we won't be as afraid because we know he is there. God is our father. And if you've never thought of him like that, when you go to him in prayer, that should be the first thing. Remember, thank you, God, that you're our father. And then Jesus says, hallowed be your name. Now, this is some words that we don't use very often today. I don't think we go up to someone and say, hallowed, in everyday conversation. Uh, but some different ways of saying it is, it's recognizing that God is holy and greater than any other thing. It's recognizing that God, his name, who he is, is greater than anything around us, any situation. His name should be celebrated and he is great. Our, in our prayer, we should also recognize him that he's the mighty king of the universe, that he's king over everything, every situation and all things. God is our father, but he's also the king. And we come to him with reverence and respect. We highly honor him because of how great he is. Our response should be like Isaiah when he says the glory of the Lord. And he says, woe is me, I am undone, for I've seen the king of glory. And I'm a man of unclean lips and from a people of unclean lips. When he sees the king of glory, he recognizes the things in his heart. You see, just like that Plato, it becomes pliable the more you work with it. When we pray and we experience the glory of God, our hearts should be more pliable as God sanctifies us and we recognize who we are. We recognize both that we are God's child, but also that we are a sinner in need of a savior. And so as we come before him, we should recognize he is the king of glory, the Lord of hosts, and he is in control in all situations and we can trust him in all things, in all situations. Just these two lines alone should honestly give us peace and reassurance no matter what kind of chaotic situation we face because Jesus is our Father. We can, God is our Father. We can trust Him and because He is the King over all the universe. Those two simple phrases should be enough to comfort our hearts as we go to Him in prayer.
And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should want God's kingdom to come, both spiritually and physically. You see, Jesus' kingdom, it's here and not yet. The gospel, his kingdom is here, it's going out. And then Jesus, we know though he's coming back again. And we can pray, Lord, come, Lord, quickly, Lord Jesus, come. That Jesus is king over the universe. And we must remember to pray that God's will takes place. God lets us partner with him to see things happen. And as we pray, we are seeking his will. And the things happen. We can pray that his will takes place. We want to see things happen here on earth. And uh, we want, when we want to see things happen, sometimes we can put our own will into our prayers, though. We're like, God, I want this, 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 and this. It's kind of like um, the uh, child that writes their Christmas list and on it puts like a pink unicorn or like, you know, they put some, all these like little things. They want exactly this, this, and this. Or I heard about a parent that they got their daughter an iPod and uh when she opened it up, she was disappointed. It was the wrong one. Well, she was giving all these expectations. Sometimes we do that in our prayers. And as a parent, as a person that doesn't feel good when people give all of these expectations and they don't enjoy the gift of what you've given them. In our prayer, we should approach God saying, God, your will be done. It's a moment of surrender. Not my will, but your will, as Jesus says. And we surrender and we receive his answer as a gift. And we are grateful for it. We don't give all of these extra expectations, but we receive his gift. Remember that he is the ultimate ruler in heaven. And so it says, on earth as it is in heaven, we should hope to see, we should expect to see that his rule would be made known here. Wherever and whenever Christ's will takes place, his kingdom is manifested. And this is also a prayer of submission to the will of God. We should seek God's kingdom and will in all situations and in all things. We can give very clear, like, God, I want this to happen. But in the end of the day, we should say, not my will, but yours be done. As Jesus prayed, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And so we surrender our will. In our prayers, it's a moment of surrender. And the, as we seek his will and his kingdom, this is something we can pray over our country today, and we can pray over the situations that are around us, our families, the things that we face, maybe things at work. We can pray that God's will be done, his kingdom will come, and that he would make things here on earth as it is in heaven, that people would receive his word with joy and would recognize that he is God. Um, we should be asking him to send revival, that the gospel, the kingdom gospel, would go out and that people would be transformed, and that in all things his will and plan would take place. That his will and plan can take place. And as we partner with him in prayer, we can see things happen. And as we pray, you know, it's amazing when things start to change, when people receive Christ, you know, sometimes it is so amazing to see that you hear about um, what sometimes we see in our lives, and sometimes we hear about in other countries, but as we pray, there's a change that even happens 
to the areas around us. It's not just the people, but as the people change and their hearts are transformed and come to know Christ, you know, people's addiction, addictive behavior, addictions, stop, God does miracles and those things stop and all these different things happen. And there's actually what's called a socioeconomic lift, that as hearts are transformed by God, the situations, towns, and nations are changed. Do you know that when the gospel is made known, the countries like in Africa and different places where many, many people have come to Christ, that um, like Tanzania is a good example, that they were in the top three poorest nations in the world. Now they're not even in the top five. I think they might be like nine or ten, something like that. But as the gospel's made known, things change. God's kingdom comes. His will is done. And things on earth begin to look a little more like heaven. And so we should pray that his kingdom come and his will is done. Because it's so amazing to see when he does that. Then Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Uh, I referenced a couple weeks ago Lillian Trasher. And she was a uh, lady who was a missionary to Egypt. And she started an orphanage in Cairo. And they saw like thousands and thousands of children. She ended up raising like, I don't remember. It was like 50,000 children or something. She ended up raising it by the end of her life. And um, for her 60th birthday, I think it was, she asked God. Every day she prayed. She's like, God, we don't have food in the cupboards. Would you provide food for the children for today? And she asked God, for my 60th birthday, can we have food for today? I don't mind praying for tomorrow, but can we have food for today in the cupboards? God answered her request, and so they had food one day in advance, which it takes a lot of faith. That's pretty amazing. But uh, she understood the heart. That we pray, you know, God will meet the basic needs. And as we pray, we can trust him that he'll supply all of our needs. We shouldn't live in fear of want. You know, she wasn't afraid of want or need because God will provide for us. So we don't have to be afraid, but we can take courage that no matter how difficult things get, we can trust God to provide. He will provide for our needs. So many times throughout my life, I've seen from when I was a child and you know, people would bring a bag of clothes for me right when I was needing them or other types of things where God brings this thing right when you need it. God provides for our needs. Not to be mistaken with wants, but with the needs God provides. When I uh, came here to Spearfish three and a half years ago, I had just graduated from college, and I was pretty broke. I had like maybe $200 at the most when I moved here. And uh, I had a bigger problem, though. I needed a way to get here. I didn't have a car, and I had like $200. I just finished college, been, spent all the money that I had, worked for on college. I was like, I don't even have a car. God, I need, this is a need to be able to go to do what you're calling me to. Well, I prayed, and I asked some other people to pray, and God provided a car. Someone gave me a car that God put on their heart to do that. And so I was able, my first little white car that I had when I first moved here, that was something God provided for that need. You see, when we pray, God provides for our needs. So there is a difference between needs and wants. Sometimes God takes care of our wants, and he's like, yes, I, I would love to give that to you. But we shouldn't think that just because we pray for something, if it's just a want, that we're always going to get it. No, but he does always provide for our needs. He says that my children will never 
beg for bread. They won't be hungry because God is providing for our needs. And then Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We must have a heart of forgiveness. Bitterness has no room in the Christian life. Just as Jesus forgives us, so we have to forgive others. The longer we hold on to resentment, the longer we hold on to these things, the harder it is to forgive. But we must be people who forgive. We cannot be people that harbor unforgiveness in our hearts. Corey Ten Boom, I talked about her last week. She had a lot of people to forgive. She was taken, she had been hiding uh, Jews and people who were trying to flee the concentration camps of Nazi Germany in her house, and they sent them on. And she did it. She broke a lot of laws for God's cause. And uh, how they ended up catching her and her family was there was a man who came and he asked for help. And because they gave it to him, he had evidence. He was a um, fellow countryman. Because he, they gave, helped him, he had evidence that they uh, had been hiding Jews. And so he turned them in, and they were arrested. After the arrest, her father died. Her nephew died. Eventually, her sister died when they were in the concentration camp. Her brother was also arrested, and he was released, but a couple months after his release because of a disease he got in the prison, he also died. There was a lot of different things that could hold on to. You know, the abuse, the struggle of being in the worst concentration camp in the world at that time. Like being in that difficult, horrible place. But after she was released, the man who had... um, the man who had turned them in, who had been the traitor, he, w- he went on trial and he was sentenced to death uh, under the uh, Holland government for being a traitor of the country and for be- doing this terrible, terrible thing. And he had betrayed many other people and many other people had been killed because of him. But God worked in Corey's heart and she felt like God said to her to write him a letter of forgiveness. She didn't want to do it, but God told her to. And so eventually she wrote the letter. She sent it to him. A short time later, she received an answer back. He said, I realize that if you can forgive me of this terrible deed. And she told him about, you know, these were the consequences. But I forgive you because of Jesus who lives in me. And as he's forgiven me, so I can forgive you. And he says, if you can forgive me of this, I've now come to know Jesus. Because I know that if you can forgive me, God can forgive me too. She also experienced, like at times, all of these different things. She had to forgive guards, you know, guards who had beaten her and her sister, that she uh, chose to forgive them instead of holding on to unforgiveness. There's no room in the heart of a Christian to hold on to unforgiveness. In any situation, If God can give us the strength, we can't do it on our own. Remember, we have to have his help, the Holy Spirit, to stir us up and help us. But with his help, we can forgive. And then Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God helps us in our troubles, including temptations to abandon faith when things get difficult. It would have been very easy for her and others throughout history When things get difficult to say, turn their back on God and say, God, I think you've abandoned me. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. 
to give in to temptation and reject God. But we shouldn't reject God because even in our trials and suffering, we know through Jesus' prayer that he will be with us, that he is with us in all situations. And again, as his children, he's our father. As we cry out for help, he loves to answer our cries. He loves to answer us. So when we, go into tempta- when we go through things that are tempting, and it's tempting to fall away from God, to uh, give in to Satan and to give in to evil, we can ask God for help because he's our father and he wants to help us. And he is hallowed, he is holy, and his name is above all things. He is sovereign and will be working. See, those things tie throughout all of these things as we for- ask God for forgiveness uh, to help us to forget, as we ask him to uh, provide for our daily bread, as we ask him to help us not to not be led into temptation, but to deliver us from evil, as we, each of those things remember he's our father and he is holy and mighty and king. And as we pray through each of these types of things, those should be strung throughout our prayer. Remember, as you pray about the person that you want to see healed, to be healed, as you pray for the child who isn't following Jesus, as you pray for your neighbors who are going through a situation, as you pray for our nation, as you pray for the things that are happening in your own life, as you pray for God to give you confidence and help you to follow his calling on your life, as you pray for him to help you to not give in to temptation, as you pray for each of these things, remember he is your father and king, and he can and he will be working. As we pray, we can remember that he is working. He is our father and he is our king. All prayers should have this thought, this reminder throughout them. Jesus finishes out with this. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. We don't think about this in our praying, but it's tied together. If we want to see God working, we don't, can, we don't have room for unforgiveness. We have to forgive. It's like when Jesus said in Matthew 18, 21, and in that he tells the story of the servant, the unforgiving servant. The servant owes like millions of dollars worth of finances to a king. And the king calls him forward to, get, to pay back his debt. And the servant says, have patience with me. He falls on his knees and he pleads with the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything back. A very large sum that would have been difficult to pay back. But the king has compassion and he forgives him. Now, a short time later, that servant goes out and he sees someone else who owes him a a much, much lesser amount. And he takes the man and he chokes me, says, pay me back now. I'll have you thrown in prison until you've paid the last penny. And the man falls on his knees. He says, forgive, like, like get, be patient with me as uh, I will pay you back every penny. But he doesn't have patience. And he has the man thrown in to prison. Some of the other servants hear about this and they tell the king. And the king says, you wicked servant. I forgave you. Shouldn't you for the same way have forgiven this much lesser thing? And as a result, he is thrown out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, it says. When we don't forgive, there's two things. As we look for Jesus to help us forgive people, we should forgive every Christian 
Because if we don't forgive them, we're saying that what Jesus did on the cross isn't enough to cover their sin. If we harbor unforgiveness, we're saying, Jesus, what he did isn't enough. And if we don't forgive non-Christians, we're saying, God, I don't really think you're king of the universe. I don't think you're sovereign. And I don't think your judgment in the last day is enough. Ultimately, unforgiveness reflects on our opinion on God. Whether they're Christians or non-Christians, no matter how badly people have hurt us, we have to forgive because it's what Jesus has done in us. If he can forgive me of my sin, how can I not forgive others of their intentional, unintentional, or even uh, thought slanders against me? We have to forgive because of who Jesus is. That's why we must forgive. And in our prayers, we need to recognize that if we want to see God answer our prayers, if we're harboring and holding on to sin and to unforgiveness, we're going to have hindrance in our communication and our conversation. It's like, I don't know if you've ever had, um, probably never, maybe it's just me, have you ever had a uh, conflict with a sibling and there's this thing that's there and this resentment that's there, but then when you go to your parent and you're just trying to talk to them in general, you can still tell that that conflict with your sibling is there. And it's this awkward and difficult thing. And there's this underlying tension until you talk it out, right? And until then you go and you forgive them and and you make restitution resolution. If we are holding on to unforgiveness and holding on to sin in our lives, when we go to pray, there's going to be this awkwardness, this a challenging situation. And so Jesus, he's like, he wants us to forgive so we can have open communication back and forth and hearing his voice. But like I said, as we, it's like the Play-Doh, though. As you pray, he reveals these things. So we should come to him at any point in time and say, God, help me with this thing. Help me with my unforgiveness. Help me with this sin. But as we pray, he will help us. And he softens, he molds our hearts, and he changes us to reflect him. So really quick before we finish, so I want to give a couple practical tips for prayer. This is how we should pray, what Jesus said. But here's some things to help us to implement a prayer life in our lives. The first thing is, like we said, prayer is communication. So we've heard a lot about how to talk to God. Now, really quick, how do we hear from God? How do we hear God's voice? The very important thing is to quiet ourselves. If you've ever been in a room, this is where it was like when I was home for Christmas, uh, where there's a lot of people and there's a lot of kids and it's really loud. And you're trying to talk to somebody even if they're right next to you and you have to be like, It's just overwhelming. You can't hear what they're saying. You have to get really close, or you have to be like, get everyone to be quiet. I always am like, tell all the kids, go outside. If you're going to be that loud, you got to go play outside. (laughs) But it's so loud that you can't hear them. If we have too many distractions and loudness, both in our hearts, our minds, and in things around us, sometimes it can be difficult to hear God's voice. So we need to quiet ourselves. We say, Jesus Help me to be still and to hear your voice. Help me to focus on you. I'm going to listen for this amount of time to hear you speak. The second thing is we listen with our heart. I don't typically hear God as an audible voice saying, go do this or something like that. No, we hear it with our heart. And I like to say, it's like 
if you ever read a storybook and you don't, like there's a non-picture storybook, and you imagine the story happening. Sometimes it's like way better than the movie when you imagine it yourself. But you imagine the story happening. You're not seeing it with your eyeballs while you're reading it, right? You're seeing the words on the page. In the same way, when we hear God's voice, frequently, not, it's not that he doesn't ever do this, but frequently we're not hearing him with our ears. We're hearing him inside. It's this uh, hearing inside and seeing inside. Sometimes he does give us pictures too and we see it inside. And it's this sense of seeing and hearing with our spirit as we talk with him. And then another thing is, maybe we might be uncertain. Did I hear God or did I not hear God? A lot of people, they're like, uh, I think struggle with this. Like, did I hear God? And they're just like, no, that wasn't God. But I think God's speaking to people a lot more than we realize. So a couple of rules to know, is this God or not, is does it line up with the Bible? If it lines up with the Word of God, we are in pretty good territory. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, like it goes against the Bible, then you know for sure it's not God. So that's another reason why we should be reading our Bible and be spending that time in His Word. But if it lines up with the Bible, we know that it is in uh, correct with things God has already said. And if it's not from me, if you're like, I'm not sure where that came from. If it didn't come from you, and it lines up with the Bible, so that means it's not from the enemy, then who else is it? It must be God. And so we hear, we can test this. You can test the words that God gives us, and we can test, is it line up with his word, and is it not from me? If you're like, where did that come from? Sometimes, um, and we respond to his promptings. Uh, there's a number of times that I've been with my dad, and he'll be like, I just thought of this person for no reason. I think I should pray for them. And he'll text her, he'll call them, he'll pray for them, and then he'll text her, call them. And then he finds out that something just happened, like heard things like, uh, you know, our, we just had a miscarriage, or this just happened in our family, or I'm so glad you called, I was really needing this today. We listen to the still, small promptings of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us. We can trust that he is going to speak to us. And then if you're still not certain, though, you're like, man, I quieted myself. I listened with my spirit. I listened with my heart. I felt like he said this, but I'm still not sure. Like, it lines up with the word of God, but I don't know. Was this me? Was this not? What I do a lot of times, I do this very, very often. I'm like, God, I know you want to speak to me. If this isn't me, and this is you, I want you to tell me again, just so I know for sure, because I'm not sure. Would you mind repeating it? You know, like when you're, um, uh, this is, I have a nephew that he doesn't always hear things very well. And so we have to remind him, if you didn't hear us, you need to ask us to tell you again. So that way we can make sure that you heard us. And so, um, we can, in the same way, do that with God. We're like, God, I'm not sure. Can you tell me again? And then I pray the same question or thing I've been praying about before. And I said, I'm going to put that out of my mind. And if you bring it back to me again, then I'll know that that was you. And we concentrate instead on him. We concentrate on what the thing is we're praying about. And if we get it again, then it's a pretty good indication. If all these things line up, that it must be God. Also, having other people who speak to us and they say, you know, they can be a confirmation of the things he said. Another thing is if we're really struggling, we're like, man, I'm not hearing God's voice, then we need to spend time in his word. Because God will speak 
through his word. His word is sharper than a two-edged sword. As we spend time in his word, he gives us the answers. And if we're like, if it feels like I can't hear you, God, I've been trying, I'm struggling, I have no idea what you're saying right now, then we must spend time in his word because he will be speaking to us through it. Another thing I like to do is put put on worship music. For me, if I have a just silent. Sometimes I get distracted and it's difficult. And as I spend time in worship, it puts my heart in a right place to hear from him, a place of surrender, a place surrendering to his will. And so it's good to put on some worship music. Another thing I like to do is to write down my prayers. Now, I, I know that maybe not everyone does this, but I like to write down the things that I'm praying about because then I can be reminded of when they're answered, like, oh, that happened. I prayed about that. We can be reminded of it. But I also write down, what did God say to me? There's been so many times that I've been able to look back and say, you know, God, I thought God said this. I go back sometimes and I'll look through and I'll read it. I'll be like, man, that was totally God. That wasn't just me. He said that. Um, you know, I felt like earlier this year that God said that this is going to be a very tumultuous season, but to trust him through the chaos and he would be working. Well, that's been pretty true, pretty spot on. See, when we can remember the things. And that helps me to be like you. Know, I can even write out, God, I think you said this. Can you speak again? And if you have a forgetful memory, it can be really helpful to that. Another thing is pray the Bible. Pray verse by verse. Pray the word of God. You can go through, like Psalms 23 is a great one, and you can pray and you be like, God, what do you want to say to me? Or I declare this in our lives and pray the word of God. Pray with others, agree together, and grow in our prayer life. If you aren't sure how to pray, spend time with other people who pray and grow. Learn as you pray. But praying with others can encourage us, and they can agree together. That's why I think we should all come tonight to the prayer time or join with a friend at the prayer time. You can even call them up on the phone and be like, you know, I just, I need to pray with somebody. Can you pray with me right now? Yesterday, I was having a very difficult time with preparing this message. There was a lot of um, distractions, and it was very difficult. So I texted a friend, and I said, can you please pray for me? I need to be focused in hearing God's voice. I need to be in the spirit. She prayed for me. And like 20 minutes later, it was like a whole door changed, a whole thing changed. Pray with others. There's something powerful in praying together. When two or more gather together in my name, there I am in the midst, Jesus says. So pray together. Pray somewhere. Find a place there. Like, I'm going to pray there regularly. So Jesus said, go into your room and close the door. Pray somewhere, but also pray everywhere. We can pray everywhere. If we pray somewhere and we pray everywhere, we'll see some amazing things happen. Pray sometime, but pray all the time. Find time set. I'm going to pray at this time. I'm going to be consistent. You Maybe you're like, I want to come to Friday noon prayer and pray with others, but having a set time, having a set time in our personal lives, pray sometime, but pray all the time. And as we learn to pray in the Spirit, He'll help us to have this continual prayer life. I'm going to finish up with this story. Um, uh, I just had a couple weeks ago my niece and nephew who stayed with me, and she, he's three and a half, and she is five? Yeah, something like that. They're pretty small. She talks a lot. <laughs> she doesn't 
stop talking. Like she wants to be talking to you the whole time while she's there. He's not so much. He's a little quieter. But he likes to talk a lot. And he's always having this conversation back and forth. In the same way, we should be enjoying God's presence, talking back and forth with him all the time, all day. Different things that we're doing. You know, maybe you're at work and you're like, man, God, I am, uh, thank you for helping me to do a good job on this. Please help me with this. I'm not sure what to do right now. Or uh, help my friend. They look really sad right now. Praying all the time. Praying in the spirit. When we pray all the time, he'll help us to pray. But this continual conversation, we should enjoy God's presence. Just like she, my niece wanted to talk to me all the time, we should be talking to God all the time. Pray in the spirit. Pray in tongues. If you pray the word of God and you pray in tongues, you pray in the spirit, you know that you're praying the will of God. Pray in the Spirit. And as you pray in the Spirit, he'll reveal to you how to pray in your understanding. It says, I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray in my understanding. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will sing in my understanding. As we pray in the Spirit, he does something in us. He sanctifies our tongue. He works in our hearts, but we are praying the Word of God. We are praying the will of God. And I don't know how many times that I don't know why I'm having an intense, fervent time of praying in the Spirit. I don't know what's going on, but I know that he's using me to pray for something, some situation. It might be something on the other side of the world. It might be a friend that I didn't even know something was going on in their life. But if we pray in the Spirit, we'll be praying his will and his word in our lives. So those are some practical tips. We can work through and pray through the Lord's Prayer. And I would encourage you this week to work through and pray through it as well. And then also finding these times, find these moments to pray together.